I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Well, hello, my name is uh, Neville and I'm one of the leaders here at Emmanuel Church Brighton and uh, I want to welcome you, whether you'd normally be uh, maybe at one of our services at Shoreham or Oasis or even in Hove or at the Clarendon Centre in Brighton. Uh, I want to say you're very welcome. Maybe you're even tuning in for the very first time today. And uh, we're, it's my privilege to be able to open up the Bible as we do it every week. And we're actually in the second week of a series looking at Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Uh, and you will have heard, read to you uh, chapter 1, verse 12 through 26. And those are the verses that I'm going to spend a few minutes looking at and actually particularly focus on one verse. Now, I've called this uh, a Christ-shaped life because I think that's what it's demonstrating. That's what Paul is demonstrating here. And it's worth looking at the setting and just understanding what we've just read, that Paul is writing this letter while he's uh, in prison, but he's not just in prison, he's actually chained to a member of the Praetorian Guard day and night, 24 hours a day. He's chained up in prison. And Paul was called by God to go around and start churches everywhere and proclaim Jesus and see groups of Christians forms and people to become and believe in Jesus. And now he's chained up in prison. So this isn't good, but what is remarkable from what I'm reading here is that I, I see no hint of despair. It's like he's calm, he has his sense of purpose. And I look at this and think, how is this? How can this be? How did Paul, who wrote this letter, get to this point where in verse 21, he can say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain while he's chained up in prison. And I think that is an amazing, radical statement that I want to, in my own life, more fully understand 
And, and I wonder today, if I asked you the question and said, if there was one thing you could say for me to live is this, what would that be? What would your answer be? Or maybe if there's one thing that you couldn't do without, what would that be? So let's look at how did Paul get to the place of being able to sort of face huge setbacks in his life, what looked like setbacks, difficult conditions, and yet not be in despair. And how do we get there? What is there for us today in the 21st century as we try to live out our lives following Jesus? Uh, and I want to look at th- just under three headings in this passage. The first is this, the gospel brings radical change. Now, it must have done in Paul's life for him to write that and say, I'm locked up in prison, chained to a guard, but for me to live is Christ and it's all okay. Okay, so Paul's mindset is so radical here that you can, we, can, we can look at this and go, Paul, I think you're out of your mind. This, this is crazy stuff. This, this can't be true. What, what, what do you mean? Paul, if he was with us, and he kind of is through the scriptures, is saying, hang on a minute, no, 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 you're the ones who aren't thinking straight. You're the ones who've got it wrong. You're the the ones who aren't lining up with truth about who God is and his son Jesus Christ and the gospel. That's what this passage is kind of shouting at us in a way. It's so radical, we have to grapple with it. We have to say, no, 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 this is just crazy, it's too far. Oh, actually, no, this is reality and we need to get our lives lined up with it. You see, he's really found something here. I I would go so far as to say, he's kind of found the key to life. And I guess my question is, do do we want the key to life? Because I think Paul's showing us something here that is remarkable. It is really remarkable. It's like, you take everything away from me, and actually it's gonna get even better. There's a sense in which you you can't affect it. It's set in place. Okay, and even death isn't going to change it. So let's just look at this. What happened to Paul? Who is Paul? How did he get to this place? Now, Paul was a brilliant scholar. He was a man who knew the Old Testament. He was a a Jew who used to go around uh, killing Christians. So he was furious with the claims of Jesus. He thought Jesus, when Jesus came and said, I'm God, that was absolutely outrageous for him. He thought he was a fraud, he thought he was a false prophet, and he would have hated what Jesus was saying. And what happened was, I think think in the end he was happy because he thought, this Jesus has been killed on a cross, he's a common criminal, we've done away with him, thank goodness. That would have been the apostle, that's what Paul would have been thinking. And now what's happened is he's, he's hearing reports of people are still saying Jesus is alive, and this is making him even more furious. How dare they say this? What rubbish. And he's going around finding Christians and killing them and imprisoning them. That's what, that's, that's the background to this. This is the man that's writing this. Okay. And what happens, it says in Acts chapter 9, that he's given permission to go to Damascus to root out people following Jesus there in order to persecute them, imprison them and probably kill them. And on the way there, on the way there, It says that a light came on him that's brighter than the midday sun and threw him off his horse on the ground and blinds him. That's that's the account in the Bible. That's what actually happens to him. 
and he's on the ground and he's blind and it says really he spends three days in total darkness. Three days shut away in a room in darkness. And later he, he must comment, he must be thinking, what he says is in 2 Corinthians 4, he says the God who commanded light to shine shone into my heart the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is what this man who hated Jesus is saying, light, God is using creation language, he's saying the God that said let there be light, his light has now come into my heart and my life, in the, it's in the face, the glory of God has come in the face of Jesus Christ, this man who he hated. He's had an absolutely radical change. Everything he thought, all his values have been turned upside down. And the thing is, he's locked away for three days in darkness, he's blind. I wonder what's going on. I think God is meeting with him. He would have known the Old Testament. I wonder if Psalms and the prophet Isaiah and other prophets, of their, all they've said about Jesus are coming to him. Like, this lamb must die. By his stripes we're healed. Who knows what's going on in his head? Can this be, is this Jesus? As he goes on, God's just revealing things to him. He's, he's realising the man he's tried to kill is the son of God. He's come to live on the inside of him. His whole life has been completely, completely turned round. Comes to realise that God has come in the person of Jesus Christ. That a man called Ananias comes to him, who's sent to him. His sight returns, the Holy Spirit falls on him. And it's like he's died spiritually and he's come back to life again. That's what happens to him. This is, this, is, this is the radical nature of the gospel coming to bear into Paul's life. And I think this leads to, for me to live, is Christ. He said, everything else I thought was important has died to me. I could quote you other verses where he says that. Everything else I thought was important has died. All my values have changed. My life is now totally caught up in this Jesus Christ, this man who I hated, I thought was a fraud, and now he's come to live on the inside of me. He's alive, he's not dead, he's come back to life. This is the man who's writing this verse. For me to live is Christ. His whole worldview has completely changed. See, it's not a hobby for him. Paul was never, this following Jesus was never, it was never something he added on to his life. This was his life. This, was his, this is now totally his life because the God who commanded light to shine has shone into his life in the face of Jesus Christ. It's remarkable. How is it for you? I think I've taken years to come to this. I think for some people, they have like a Paul experience I don't think I did. I think as years have gone by, I've realised more and more the wonder of what happened to me and how amazing it really is. You see, I'm not talking to you about religion today. I'm talking to you about meeting the person of Jesus Christ, which is what Paul did on the road to Damascus. He didn't find some rules on the ground and when he was locked away for three days, blinded, he found the person of Jesus. This is very important. You, you don't follow Jesus by finding some rules. You have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about, it's about loving a person and knowing that he loves you. Jesus says to Simon Peter, he says, follow 
me. Follow me. Not some rules. Follow me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He goes on to say in the Gospel of John, I am the true vine. Say to you today, are you thirsty? Are you spiritually thirsty? Jesus says, come to me and drink. Are you hungry, spiritually hungry? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Are you weary? Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. He's not sending you away anywhere else. He's not sending you to a book. He's like, I am the bread of life. I am the one. Come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. This is clear for Paul. For me to live is Christ. It's not for me to live is some rules out here or a code or some morality. For me to live is the person of Jesus Christ because he's come into my life. He's risen from the dead. He's alive. Question is, what does it mean for you to live for Christ? Do you think you've grasped that? Do you think you're living in the good of that? Because it's on offer for you. You can do that. Is he your everything? Maybe you can talk about that. Find someone, talk with them, pray with them. So the gospel brings radical change. Let me, let me move on. The gospel brings radical change. And you could be thinking, oh, this is good news. This is amazing. I, I, I want in. This sounds too, this is amazing. The second point is this. Uh, I kind of, it's either joy in God's plan or actually maybe a better phrase is the hardness of life. Oh, oh, okay. So we've got to put Paul saying these amazing things that, that the God who said let light shine in the darkness comes into our lives We've got to put it into the context of this passage. In that Paul is sitting, I've said this to you, Paul is sitting in prison, chained up to a guard. And he's still saying these things. You can read through it, verse 12 to 18, we've, we've looked at it. You see, something wonderful has happened, but life is still hard, often. In verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Actually, it's worked out well. It's okay. I think he's writing to the Philippians in case they're thinking, oh no, Paul's in prison. It's all gone wrong. Paul's going, no, 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 it's okay. God's at work. God's at work. It's okay. I'm, I'm good. It's all good. It's all good. God's sovereign over these things. That's what's going on here. So what has worked out well, Paul? Well, verse 13, it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest all the rest, I guess that means the whole prison. I don't know how many beyond the prison, it's not clear, that my imprisonment is for Christ. Oh, but Paul, it hasn't worked out very well. You're in prison. What are you talking about? I think Paul would say, yes, I am. But I have opportunity to speak to other prisoners. They're chained to me. They can't get away. This guard's even chained to me. He can't get away from me. It's given me opportunity. It's like I've got this audience that can't get away. I can talk about Jesus. It's great. I think this is extraordinary. This is, it's easy to gloss over it. It's extraordinary. See, there's such confidence that I see here in the power of the name of Jesus. 
He's saying, if I can speak out Christ, if I can talk about the things of Christ, change will come. Things will happen. This is spiritual power in the name of Jesus. When we start saying, now Jesus is risen from the dead, he's not in a hillside in a tomb in Jerusalem, he's really risen from the dead, spiritual power starts getting released. When we talk about who Jesus really is and what he came to do, spiritual things start to happen. And Paul is utterly confident that if he proclaims Christ, it's advancing the gospel. That's, that's all he has to do. Talk about, it doesn't matter whether he's chained up to anyone. He, his focus is, you know, I'm going to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to he's, he's got such confidence. That's why in this church, if you come to services Sunday by Sunday, we talk a lot about Jesus. Because there's power in the name of Jesus. Because it's Jesus who sets us free. It's Jesus who gives us meaning and purpose and life. So important. It's the gospel of the person of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that's lived this perfect life. There's no other way to get back to God the Father. We can't make ourselves right with God, but we accept Jesus who lived his perfect life and his perfect life gets accredited to us and that makes us right with God. That's why we talk about Jesus, because there's no other way. There's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. He's got confidence in Christ being proclaimed. He says, even verse 15 through 18, and I'll rush through this, it's weird. He's saying, he's so confident that it doesn't kind of matter in the moment to him that some people are preaching Christ from envy and rivalry. I mean, that's terrible, isn't it, Paul? No, it's okay. Uh, Christ is being proclaimed. It's okay. But they're doing it selfishly, Paul. No, it's okay. Christ is being proclaimed. Wow. What about us in the 21st century? Life is hard. Life is often hard. I know what that looks like for you. It might be pain, mystery, setback, disappointment. I want to say to you, it's my confidence after walking with God through decades that there is a bigger plan for our lives than I can just see that is underpinned by the goodness of God. I'm convinced of that. See, Paul's motivation for life is completely different. He wants the Philippians to know everything's okay. He's not perplexed. He's not downcast. He's not angry with God because he's in prison. And I think with Christians, this can be hard for us sometimes. We can look up friends in the church, people who've maybe made decisions to follow God and it costs them. And then we think, what has happened? Maybe they've got sick. Maybe they've had disaster in the family. All sorts of things can happen. That's not fair. God, you're good, aren't you? We can struggle with these things. But Paul is presenting something here. He's saying, that's not the grid I, I put things through. I believe in a good God who's sovereign over all things. And even though my life is full of, it must have been a bit mysterious. It's not what you called me to do, God. But it's okay, because even in this, I'm able to talk about Jesus. It's okay. It's okay. Maybe that's you. Maybe you find these things hard. I encourage you to talk about it to someone. Okay, I've become convinced in my life that I follow a good God. But I follow him through a world that's fallen through sin. One day, it's going to return and put it right and clear up the mess that we've made. See, maybe... 
Maybe you're in bad health. Maybe you've suffered the death of a loved one. Maybe it's finance for you. Maybe it's career hasn't worked out. Maybe there's a relationship that's causing you terrible pain. Maybe you're in circumstances and you feel like Paul's in prison. You feel like you're in prison. You're in circumstances and you think, I, I can't get out of this. It doesn't, it's, just, it's just, I'm just trapped. And that's starting to become bigger and bigger and bigger in your vision. And I'll just say to you, step back. Try and do what Paul does here. It's like there's a bigger story going on in my life. The God who commanded light to shine in the darkness has shone in my heart through the glory and the face of Jesus Christ. And it's okay, and he's taking care of me, and I'm talking about him. He's found a way of separating his circumstances from his joy in God. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's definitely worth pursuing. See, if Christ, to live as Christ is true, then it changes everything. And it must change everything for us in the 21st century. Jesus alone who can satisfy me. And the Bible says he's never taken away from me. See, Paul is in prison. He's full of rejoicing. He's found answers to life. And this is on offer for us. You think, wow, that's, okay, that's amazing. That's amazing, Neville. I, I, wow. Me to live is Christ, is, it, is there a way through this? This sounds remarkable. It is remarkable, it is amazing, it's wonderful. And then he says there's something better. I have to be honest with you here. He says there's something better. And often we kind of, we could stop here. We could say, that was a good preach. That, that's going to help me get through next week and the things I'm facing in my life. Paul says, no, actually, if you stop there, you're missing something even more wonderful. It says, for me to live is Christ, verse 21, and to die is gain. It's even better. See, death is certain to come to all of us. I won't give you stats on how many people die every day an hour. I actually looked it up in preparing for this, but I won't repeat it. But for the Christian, it's a doorway, I would say, to the greatest adventure. It's not hitting a brick wall. <laughs> it's going through a doorway to the greatest adventure. It's, a, it's the journey home after a long time away. Let me contrast two quotes. There's a, an American uh, film director who kind of made a joke about it. And I think that's often what we do. It's, it's, it's a week in which, with the funeral on Monday that probably most of us saw of the Queen Elizabeth, kind of death, we thought a bit more about death. It's been in our national consciousness. But this American film director said, he says, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> and that's often, that's often what we kind of, we, it's our way of dealing with it. It's our way of dealing. We kind of joke. It's kind of tongue in cheek. It's, it's our way of getting through. Let me, let me contrast that with D.L. Moody, who's a famous theologian. Uh, and he said this about him. He said, towards the end of his life, he said, someday you'll read in the papers D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. He says, don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. A few hours before dying, Moody caught a glimpse of the glory awaiting him. It's recorded this. It says, waking from a sleep, this is his son, I think, who wrote this. Waking from a sleep, he said, earth recedes, heaven opens before me. 
if this, if this is death, it is sweet. There is no valley here. God is calling me and I must go. And it says his son, who was standing by his bedside, said, no, 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 father, you're dreaming. No, Mr. Moody said, I'm not dreaming. I have been within the gates. This is my triumph. This is my coronation day. It is glorious. You get someone who makes a joke about death to kind of not think about it. And you get someone who's followed God all his life, who's on his deathbed going, this is glorious. We don't talk about this so much. You see, the Bible says to die as a Christian means I get to see Jesus more clearly. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, I see it a mirror dimly, but then face to face. To die is the great Christian victory. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death isn't a black hole that sucks everything else into it. The Bible says death itself gets sucked up in, sucked into something in victory. Death gets sucked into Jesus Christ because he's conquered it. It's not the end. He's beaten it. Let me say this to you. I want to be sensitive today. That there's, there's much pain in death. There's suffering involved, often. There's the pain of separation. There's anguish of soul. I'm not saying death is easy. Mourning is biblical. We see David mourning over King Saul, who was his enemy. We see Jesus weeping at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. Pain. It's difficult. I've got another but. There's glory in it. There's victory in it. See, people ask me, what actually happens when we die? What happens? Well, in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes 12, 7, it says, and the dust, which is, re is referring to us, it's referring to our bodies or our flesh, returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Oh, okay. You see, death is the moment of separation between the body and the spirit. Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. See, the Bible talks about our bodies being like a tent that's wearing out. But we have a building in God, not made with human hands, that is eternal in the heavens. See, I've, I've, I've been, you, you know, you, you can say to me, well, is this, can this be true? I want to say I am convinced of it. I've, I've sat with, um, in a hospital room with two of the people that have been closest to me in my life. Um, my, one of my younger sisters, uh, in, when I was in my 20s, she, she died in a car accident. Uh, <clears throat> and we had, to turn, we had to make a decision to turn off a life support machine. And it, became, it was very clear to me that uh, pretty soon after that, there was a body, but not a spirit. And even more recently than that, obviously two, two and a half years ago, I'm in a hospital room with my wife and it becomes clear to me that there's a body but there isn't a spirit. And so I am convinced of these things. I'm not just, I'm not just saying them because the Bible, I think, is very clear on it. I'm actually saying I'm, I'm convinced because I've seen it with my eyes. I've sensed it spiritually. And Christians, even Christians, I find, can be scared of death. It's like, what happens? 
thing is your spirit doesn't die. Your spirit goes to be with Jesus. You think, well, what about our bodies? <laughs> What's going to happen to our bodies? It's important. It's important. The Bible's clear on this. Jesus appears in the upper room the night he, actually he's risen from the dead, and he comes in the room. The disciples are locked in because they're terrified, it says. They think he's died. And he appears, and they're like freaked out. They think the ghost of Jesus has appeared. They call, they say, it's a ghost. Ah! And do you know what Jesus does? It says in the account in Luke, I think, he says, well, you know, look, at, look at my hands. Look at the holes in my hands and my feet. Do you know what? Give me some food if you're not sure, because I'm a bit hungry. Jesus has bodily come out the tomb. His spirit has risen and his body has risen. And the promise, the promise it seems to me, is very clear in the Bible, that the day comes when Jesus returns, again, to sum up all things, that the dead are raised, the graves give up the bodies. We see, we see a foretaste of it, I think. It talks about it at the, at the, um, the death of Jesus talks about the, the ground shaking and the rocks being split. And in the days afterwards, there are dead people coming out of tombs in Jerusalem. Because Jesus has power over death. And people say to me, well, how, what, if I've been dead a hundred years, or I've been cremated, or I, what, what, how can that be? And I say, I don't fully understand, but by, the Bible is clear that you sow something and God brings it, you sow something into death and God brings it back to life. And I would say this, that the God who, who looked at an empty void over nothingness and was able to say, let there be light and cause a universe to come into existence is well capable of putting the atoms in my body back together and raising a dead body. I have no doubt about it. It's not too difficult for God. And the scripture is clear, that's what will happen. It's not just that this kind of comes back, thank goodness. It's better than that. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 says, what is, what is sown, this body that's sown is perishable. You're telling me it's perishable. I know it's perishable. It's getting, feels more perishable every year. What is raised is imperishable. It's sown in dishonour. It will be raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. Yes, it feels weak often. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. God, that's why we can say to die is gain as Christians because the spirits get to go with Jesus, get to be with Jesus. And when Jesus returns, the graves give up the dead. The bodies rise and they're spiritual bodies. Hallelujah. It's glorious. I don't fully know what that means. Hey, one day I've seen, I've seen my wife's body deteriorate through disease, but one day it's going to be raised, the spiritual body, in power. And that is the hope that's before us. It says it, Paul prays for the Ephesians in Ephesians 1.18. He prays for them, he says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, that you may know, that you, what, what, Paul, what do you want them to know? What is the hope to which he's called you? The hope to which he's called you, that what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That's why my contention with you is, I think Paul's right. I think as marvellous as it is to have Jesus in your life, as marvellous as it is, there's something better coming. Dying is gaining, it is. It's, it's the answer to life and death. That's what's here today. It's here for us in the 21st century. For those of us that are following Jesus, if you're listening to this and you would say, I'm not sure if I'm a follower of Jesus, I've got questions. 
that's fantastic. I, I love answering questions about Jesus. Come and ask more questions. Come and find us out. Come and get into a, a, into a small group. Ask your questions. You accept Jesus into your life. And this is for you. These promises are for you. These are wonderful things. I, it's possible for us just to get through life with a partial understanding of some of these things. It's a bit grey. It's like, for me to live is Christ. Yeah, 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 yeah. But life, you don't understand, it's just tough. And we don't have the revelation of it that we need spiritually to utterly change us. And yeah, I, yeah I, do you know what? I am a bit scared of dying. I don't really know what happens. Well, the Bible tells us what happens. And it's more glorious. And this is what's on offer through the gospel of Jesus Christ today in the 21st century in Brighton and across the whole world. I'm going to say, give yourselves to living your lives for Christ. Talk to someone about it. Pray with someone. Put your circumstances up against the grid of the Christ's lordship over your life. And my friends, the best is yet to come, even through death.